0: I can't remember if I introduced myself earlier. My name's Rob. I'm a pastor here. Um, If you're visiting with us this morning, maybe because of the baptisms, uh, or maybe you're just checking it out, uh, we have been going through the Gospel of Mark, Mark's account of the life and teachings of Jesus. And um, we've named this sermon series, Follow the King. And in these verses this morning, we see um, some of the boldest and clearest strokes of Jesus Christ and his kingship. All right, and I've said it before that we all long for a king. All right, um, consider a few things. Consider our obsession with royals across the pond. All right, consider our names that we give sports stars, right? LeBron James broke the all-time scoring record this uh, week, right? We don't just call him LeBron James. What do we call him? We call him King James. Uh, Think about the stories we tell. King Aslan, King Arthur, King Lear. We long for a king. We long for someone to adore. We long for someone to lead us and provide for us and protect us. Regardless of the religion or the worldview you walked in here with this morning, you long for a king. Sometimes we think the best candidate to fill that position is ourselves. Right, like I, I, I can lead myself. I can protect and provide for myself. Sometimes we give that role uh, to a friend or to a lover or to a political leader. But here's the thing: um, ourselves, our friends, our lovers, our leaders. Eventually, at some point, they are going to fail, or frustrate, or disappoint us. At the very best, they are pointers. They are meant meant to signal us, to to have us look for a true and greater king, the one that's at the center of these verses we're looking at this morning. So pray with me and then we'll dive into this passage. Let's pray. Mighty and merciful Father, we pray that you would open eyes and give ears to hear, that you would save us from distraction, that you would unsettle those who are complacent, and that you would comfort those who walk in this morning broken. Each and every one of us, regardless of where we're coming from, we need to see Jesus. So we pray by your grace that we would. We pray in his name. Amen. All right, lots of ground to cover this morning, 25 verses, some. Uh, We've got a colt uh, of a donkey. We've got some strange thing going on with a fig tree. We've got Jesus flipping tables and chairs and kicking people out of the temple and this lesson on faith and prayer. So a lot to think through. Three aspects of Jesus as the king I want us to key in on, all right? The king's nature the king's passion, and the king's purpose. Those are going to kind of be our outline. The king's nature, the king's passion, and the king's purpose. King's nature. Mark sets the scene. All right? Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. First seven verses, uh, Jesus gives his disciples like this interesting errand to run. He says, hey, go into this village. You're going to find a colt that no one's ever sat on. Take it, bring it to me. If someone asks, tell them the Lord has need of it. So that's what they do. They go, they find it, they bring it back. Someone asks, they give them the answer. They're back and they bring this colt to Jesus. It's kind of a strange thing to do. Jesus is going to enter into Jerusalem on a horse. And now it's not all that strange that a leader, a king would come in on a horse, right? You think of Roman emperors, right? Right? coming in on the Appian Way there into Rome to the Forum. That's not a strange thing, coming in on their war horse. Maybe you want to fast forward and you're thinking England, right? Think about the, uh, the mall, right, that starts in Trafalgar Square and makes its way to Buckingham Palace. How many scenes have you seen of horses and carriages making their way into the city? That's what kings do, right? But this scene is meant to make us stop and think. This scene is meant to say, make us say like something different's going on. Because Jesus isn't coming in on a war horse. He's coming in on the cult of a donkey. Kids, maybe you've been on a pony and ridden a pony before, all right? Like what Jesus is riding on is, is more acceptable at a petting zoo or pony rides than for a king. But what's on display for all to see is that Jesus is a king that doesn't fit into the world's categories. You might have a note in your Bible that points you back to Zechariah, this Old Testament book, chapter 9, verse 9, where there's this passage that lets God's people know, hey, um There's going to be a king that rides in. He will come to God's people humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. So we see Jesus is fulfilling that prophecy. A king is coming. We also see it because they're singing this song like king things are going down. They're laying down their coats and these palm branches. We do that on Palm Sunday. Uh, they're saying this song, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I know when Cunningholm, who did a great job of reading all those verses, well done, man, that was a lot. I know when Cunningholm read that, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, you thought, oh yeah, that's Psalm 118. I know that, right? All who would have been there singing that know that. It's Psalm 118. And what is that song about? It's about a king who is going to come. It's about the Messiah. It says something about the one who's going into Jerusalem. Just like today, if later this week you're in a room and someone asks you to stand and they they decide to play Hail to the Chief, right? That says something about the one coming into the room. When they're singing this song, when they're shouting this praise, they're making a statement about who this man upon the donkey is. He's a king. But this king is upon a, a donkey. He doesn't fit our categories, and that's his nature. Um, I heard someone use this phrase several um, years ago in describing Jesus. Uh, it says in Jesus, you, ha- you have this startling coalescence of contrarieties. What in the world does that mean, Right? This startling coalescence of contrarieties. And what they're getting after is that you find in this one individual, Jesus, uh, a coming together of characteristics that you find in no other single individual. Right? Uh, A fierceness and an authority and a holiness that sends evil spirits fleeing in terror. And a graciousness and a mercy that leads sinners and broken people to call him friend. In this king, you find a sovereignty, a a control over all things, and a submission, a willingness to lay down and surrender to the Father. You find an all-sufficiency. Jesus can take care of himself. He created all things. And yet he lives a life of dependence looking to his Father to provide. And so you see these things come together. The book of Revelation puts it beautifully, right? It speaks of Jesus as the lion and the lamb. Kids, you guys know lions and lambs, right, kids? Not very similar, all right? If you're outside in the lobby, you would probably rather find a lamb than a lion, kids. They're very different, but yet... In Jesus, they come together. Um, if your enemy is outside of the doors of the lobby and you're in here, you might not mind if there's a lion in the lobby, right? Like that might offer you some protection. This is the nature of the king. This startling coalescence of contrarieties, this, ki- this king upon the donkey. And, and this is the king we want, Schaefer and we want Georgia to know all the days of their life. Right? This is the king. All other important people, all other... Listen, um, Patrick Mahomes, going to be a footnote in history. All right? Uh, Harry Styles, going to be a footnote in history. All right? Your favorite president or the one that you can't stand. Even America, all right? As much as I love it and as much as I'm thankful I'm from here, a footnote in history. But this king will be on every page. When history is finally told, it is his story and it's about him. That's his nature. Let's move from the king's nature to the king's passion. All right. Things get really interesting. Jesus, uh, you know, he's making his way in. He goes to the temple that night, checks it out. Uh, He heads back out to the suburbs in Bethany stays there for the evening. Then the next morning gets up. He's in back into the city, going into Jerusalem. And he comes across this fig tree. All right, what in the world is going on with this fig tree? Uh, before we zoom in on the fig tree, let me, uh, let's zoom out for a second. All right, I want you to notice something. It's what I call the fig temple sandwich. All right, I understand everything better if it's related to food. All right, you're going to see there's this first encounter with the fig tree. Then there's some chat about the temple and there's another encounter with the fig tree, all right? Fig temple sandwich. You smelling what I'm cooking? Uh, the only reason I'm highlighting this is to help you see that they are related, that they speak to each other, that there's a connected to, connectedness to them that we want to see, all right? First encounter with the fig tree. Jesus is walking by it. Um, what's going on? Um, on the surface, right, can we just admit this is not the greatest look for Jesus, right? Like this, this seems really weird. In fact, Bertrand Russell, uh, British philosopher, uh, mathematician, he wrote an essay entitled Why I'm Not a Christian, all right? And he actually gives this uh, encounter between Jesus and the fig tree is like one of the reasons why, like, yeah, I'm not a Christian because of what, like, what Jesus does here, right? Because I think there's a sense that we see Uh, that it looks like Jesus is out for a walk and he's hungry and he sees a fig tree and he goes to check it out and there's nothing to eat there. And really it's just about him being hangry and so he like curses it and that's what this is all about, right? Like, you know, there's the, he gets us commercials that are out these days. And like, I think this could make a, a, he gets us commercial, right? Like Jesus is hungry. One time he didn't get food and he cursed the tree. He gets us right? Um, that's not what's going on, unfortunately. That's not at all at what's hap- happening here. Let's, let's make sure we understand the facts. He is on a journey. He does see from a distance there's this fig tree with leaves on it, all right? It's funny we're told that it's not the season for figs, too, right? Like, that's a helpful detail. He goes up to it, and he investigates closer, and this is where it helps us to understand something about fig trees and their fruit, Right? I'm not an expert in Palestinian horticulture, but if you read commentators, they let you know that actually fig trees, they have two kind of two fruits uh, that they produce. They produce the fig, but earlier, after the winter is over and at, when the leaves start to come in, they start to produce these nubs, right? These little nodules that travelers were known to eat, especially like if they're on their way, they knew, hey, if there's a fig tree that's coming into leaf, it's probably got a, something I could eat, like a little ancient drive through I can grab something to eat there, All right. Um, and what's going on is Jesus comes up to this uh, fig tree where the leaves are there, and it leads you to believe something else is there, and he finds that that's not the case. You guys remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about one of my favorite and only Latin phrases I know, right? "Esse quam videri to be rather than to seem. That's something of what's going on here, right? It seemed like there was life and fruit and health here from a distance. And Jesus got closer and he investigated and it was all a show. It was all an appearance. The life wasn't actually there. And he just simply proclaimed what was true. Um... (laughs) the leaves may show health, but there is a disease in the roots. It might seem like there's health, but the reality is there is sickness in the roots. So Jesus is just making that clear, and then he goes to the temple, right? So Jesus makes his way into the temple and from the word go. Jesus is coming in hot, right? He is forcing people out of the temple. He is grabbing tables, flipping them over, throwing chairs, driving people out. I did have the thought to myself, I have never seen a coloring page. All right, kids, let me know (laughs) if you've ever seen a coloring page with like Jesus in mid like table flip. All right. Uh, I thought about like writing a children's book, right? Wrecking shop. Going with Jesus to the temple. Um, But you see his zeal and his passion on full display. What in the world is going on? Remember, this is the time around Passover. And if we want to know what's up, it helps us to understand where this happens in the temple and what Jesus says while he's there. All right. So where it happens, Jesus has just entered the temple and he's in this place called the Gentile court. So when the temple was designed and built, the outermost ring of it was for the Gentiles, for those who were not Israelites, to come and to learn more of who God is, to offer their prayers to him. This was a place meant for the foreigners. And he walks in and what does he find? He finds a, a marketplace for livestock. You've just taken over this place that was for foreigners and you've decided to sell the animals that are necessary for sacrifice here. Like of all the places, how convenient that you took the place that was designated for outsiders and used it for business. The ancient historian Josephus, just to give you a sense of the scale, says that on one Passover week, something like 25,000 lambs would be sold here in this outer world. Uh, ring of the temple. So imagine the chaos, imagine the smell, imagine all that's going on in this place. Jesus comes in and sees it, and he starts literally wrecking shop. There was also a notion that when the Messiah comes, Like among people, there was a notion that, oh yeah, when our king comes, he's going to expel the foreigners. He's going to expel them from our city and from our temple. And yet here, this king comes and he advocates for them. Listen to what he says. He says, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. Right? That, that's what's brought the fierceness of his passion out is his passion for the nations to know him and to know his father. That's why he's passionate. He says, is it not written? He says, hey guys, you know better. It's been the story all along. Adam and Eve, right? They were called to rule and subdue the whole earth. Abraham, you're going to be a blessing, you and Sarah, to all the families of the earth. Jonah, I'm going to send you by way of this big fish to Nineveh. Why? Because I want the nations to know about me. Isaiah, he quotes it here. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. And you guys have decided to make it a marketplace. What in the world? That's why Jesus is hot. They've turned it into a busy marketplace. Yeah, yeah, it's busy, all right. There's a lot of activity, a lot of commotion. You might say, if you want to go back to the fig tree, there's a lot of leaves on the temple right now, but at its roots, there's a sickness. At its roots, there's a disease, and Jesus is exposing that. His passion is to bring people to the Father, and He... He responds fiercely when people pervert God's places and God's ways to achieve any other means. His nature, his passion, his purpose. Let's finish here. All right. Uh, they leave. The leaders are angry and plotting how to destroy him. The crowd is astonished and taken back by what they've seen. They leave, go back to the suburbs. Next morning, they're walking back into the city. Same fig tree. Peter's like, hey, yo, Jesus. It's always Peter. Uh, This thing is starting to wither. And notice the very next word, the four words there uh, in your Bible. Verse 22. What does he say? The king's purpose. Turns to Peter and he says, Peter, have faith In God. Have faith in God. He says, Peter, trust me. All right? Um, And he speaks in the strongest of terms. He says, if you trust me, if you don't doubt, then then this mountain, you can pray and it will be cast into the seas. He's speaking in the strongest hyperbolic terms to make it clear. You need to trust me. And sometimes you can read this passage as kind of a name it and claim it passage. Well, you know what? I am going to trust him for an A on my next test, right? Or I am going to trust him for a Range Rover because that would be really nice. But if you take this teaching with the rest of the teaching of this broader passage and the rest of the teaching of Scripture, Jesus is saying, Peter, trust me. Trust me that I can bring about the kind of change and fruit that wasn't in the fig tree and that wasn't at the temple. Trust me to bring about that kind of change. Peter, trust me that I can save you from just uh, seemingly appearing busy, but actually being a a part of the work that I'm calling you to be a part of. Trust me to bring, apart, uh, bring about that kind of change, right? Even back to the king's nature, trust me to bring about my nature in and through you, right? Because you might, here's how it works out in our lives, in my life. Um, you might think, here's a, a prayer I could pray. God, I'm naturally a quiet person. I'm kind of like an introvert, but yet I know at times I'm called to speak and be bold and, and initiate God, fill that out in me. Fill out your character in me. Or God, I am, I'm not just an extrovert. I'm an extrovert uh, and I've never met an opportunity where I didn't want to talk. But yet sometimes you call me to listen. Sometimes you call me to Silence. Work that fruit and that life in me, the character of my Savior, the wisdom of my Savior. God, I am just by nature, maybe a cold and standoffish and kind of an unexpressive person. But my family, my friends need to to know that I care about them. Would you bring about that fruit and that change? The character of the King, would you work that in and through me? God, can you save me from busyness? You see that there, Jesus teaches us to pray for forgiveness. God, help me to see that I need more mercy than anyone else out there, that I might extend mercy to others. So the king's purpose is that we would have faith in God to bring about the king's character and the king's nature in our lives and our life as a church. All right. We want to be the church that displays the king nature, king's nature, that we make it clear that this church is about the nations. All right. So over the next months coming up, Christy Danner, our worship leader, we we talk about maybe we'll have opportunities and times where we read the scripture. We have someone read it in their heart language that's not English, right? Maybe they'll read it in Korea. Maybe they'll Korean or Chinese. Uh, but just to reflect this reality that we are a church in America, but we are not an American church because we want to be about the nations. We want the king's character to come out in our church where people find mercy and hope and healing. Listen, I'm a pastor, and I work with staff on the church. And I'm sure it's tempting for you to think that much of our job is just asking you to do stuff. Right? Like, Rob, if I get one more email from you asking me to do something, and this is a check on us, do we want there to be activity at our church? Yes. But we pray that it would be activity that brings about the King's heart and the King's nature in us. Not activity for activity's sake, not busyness for busyness sake. It's because we want people to help with children's ministry so that Schaefer and Georgia hear about this King all the years that they're with us. So we don't want to just be busy for busyness' sake or advancing any kind of political or cultural agenda. We want our church to manifest the King's nature and heart to all of Fairfax and to the uttermost parts of the world. That's what we want to be about. Because Christ... Christ is a lamb, and he knew that all of those sacrifices there were just pointing to him. They were just pointing to the one that would give his life, give his everything so that we might have grace and forgiveness. And When we see that, we're free to give our life, to live out that others might know his nature. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We do pray, help us see more and more your Son for all that He is and all who He is. Strong, and yet coming in weakness. Coming as a babe, dying on a cross, and yet rising again, defeating death and sin. Help us to see Christ for all that He is. And help us to know what it means for our lives. When we go to middle school this week, And when we go to work, as we love people that are hard to love, help us to exhibit our Savior's heart. It's in His name we pray. Amen.